Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And the Oscar goes to... It's a clean sweep. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Barry M. Osborne, Peter Jackson, and Fran Walsh Producers. This is the 11th Academy Award win tonight for The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. So every Thursday here on Nights, we talk to people who were there when a piece of New Zealand history took place. And today, the 29th of February, is the very day, two decades ago, that The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, swept the Academy Awards with a record equaling 11 Oscars, as big as Ben-Hur. They won every category they were nominated in, including for costume design and makeup, with that work, of course, uh, being New Zealand's very own Weta Workshop. And from Weta Workshop, we have uh, two people joining us today, Tanya Roger, who is the co-founder and workshop manager, and Daniel Falconer, who is the senior art director, and they join me on the line now. Thanks so much for joining me. It's uh, lovely having you both on. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you. I'm, I'll, I'll just I'll tweak, tweak just ever so slightly there and just say I was, I was a designer, part of the design team on Lord of the Rings. There, there was an art director, but that was not me, and I would not want to. Um, <laughs> I've given you a, pro- I've given you a promotion, Daniel. You have. I wish that, that was <laughs> lovely, and I really appreciate it. But uh, yeah, credit where it's due. There was an art director on the film. That was not me. I appreciate the uh, the full disclosure there. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> Tanya, let's let's start with you because it's my understanding that you were actually there in Los Angeles on awards night. What was that like? You must have had very sore hands by the end of the evening. <laughs> well, it was. You know, it was 20 years ago. And, you know, I can still recall it being a really magical moment for us. We were there to represent seven years of the biggest creative journey that we'd ever undertaken, you know, for ourselves. So, but not just for us, but for the whole workshop, our entire workshop. And, you know, the dedicated filmmaking crew as well. So, you know, we were there as Kiwis. Mm-hmm. And with those 11 nominations spread across that whole filmmaking process, mm-hmm. you know, it was amazing. So, of course, Richard had already experienced being at the Oscars in 2002. Yep. And at that time, I was expecting our first baby. So that year, uh, he took his mum, which was really oh, gorgeous. And really lovely for her to be there to celebrate in that success. So, you know, but for me to attend the Oscars in 2004 alongside Richard was, you know, it was just a forever moment for both of us. And and if you can imagine, you know, the luxury of it from Wellington to Los Angeles, stepping into this beautiful hotel room, and there on the table there's this exquisite chocolate sculpture of the 76th Oscar logo, you know, and we didn't even dare eat it. It was just <laughs> Just too beautiful to even touch it. So, you know, and on the table also were those famous gift bags, you know, the ones they provide to the nominees. And one of the gifts in mine was this pair of completely jeweled jandals and sunglasses. So, you know, so much sparkle. Have you ever worn those? Oh, I have worn those jandals. I, 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 I have. I bet. 
there was a seriously large white envelope and inside it were all the instructions for the night, you know, what time to be dressed up, when to be ready, what kind of limousine would collect us, you know, where to wait before we stepped onto that famous red carpet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you did feel a bit nervous walking amongst all those celebrities and those famous actors, you know, just making sure you didn't trip over anything. I, I bet. But did, did you feel like you belonged? Because, uh, I mean, this is this was the third one. The Fellowship of the Ring and the, and the Two Towers had had such success. But as you say, this this was y- your first Oscars. So you are sort of part of that world by this stage, yeah? Well, it's funny you said that because, you know, once the awards ceremony actually started, you, you just honestly felt like you were just sitting there in the middle of everything that's completely Hollywood. Uh-huh. So, you know, just the glamour, the glitz and the sparkle. So it was quite surreal. It was just one of those really surreal moments. And, you know, as each one of those 11 nominees got announced as actual winners, you could just tell that, that whole excitement level just kept elevating. It's just so amazing. And I'm sure that same excitement was happening back in New Zealand. Yeah, I'm sure we, it was, wasn't it, Daniel? We were. We, were, we all gathered to watch it. Um, and I forget the exact venue, but we all gathered to watch it uh, at, a, at a restaurant or pub here. And so, you know, the, the, the cheering, every time somebody that we knew got up to it, accept an award, uh, and they just kept coming, which was extraordinary. Um, yeah, but the, the, there were there were lots of drinks flowing. I, I was going to say, I bet you got up to some mischief back in New Zealand now that you because you, you wouldn't have had to behave for Martin Scorsese, Daniel. The fact that I can't remember much about the night probably speaks volumes, doesn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's um let's actually chat a bit about what your involvement was with the Return of the King for people who who maybe aren't as au fait with um you know like me who aren't as au fait with film terminology as, as you two are. So maybe Daniel, beginning with with you, what what did you do on the Lord of the Rings film series? Yes. What was your day to day? Certainly. Um, so I got to be a professional nerd, basically. Um, nice. I um, was part of the design team um, at Weta Workshop on the project. And so our role was really to help visualise what does Middle Earth look like. And we worked in concert with artists in, uh, from other departments and other companies all working on the project together. You know, famous and amazing artists like uh, Alan Lee and, and John Howe, who were really, um, you know, idols of mine before I had the chance to actually work with them on this project. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically we were tasked with, you know, here's the script that has been written. What does it actually look like for the screen? What what do these books look like for the screen? And so really we just got to sit around all day and discuss and draw and present ideas. Um, so, yeah, amazing fun. And Tanya, co-founder and workshop, workshop manager. That sounds like um, a very prestigious and important title. Well, it does sound a little lofty, <laughs> so I did have that title, and it was sort of throughout all three films and across all seven years of, you know, the pre-production and filming. But it broadly covered a range of roles um, from managing the business, being involved in health and safety, and, and right down to ordering, you know, quite a lot of the vast amounts of materials that we used to produce all the items that we made. So the things that we made, the armour, weapons, prosthetics, miniature environments, you know, many of the raw materials, we had to source them from sort of all over the world. So I did quite a bit of time, you know, in that role. But one of the things I did try to make time for was I did try to take the time to film some of our behind-the-scenes moments, yeah. you know, particularly in those early years, because we were doing such amazing things that I just felt that we weren't capturing it at the moment. So I had my little video camera and I used to go down to the workshop and film those behind the scenes moments. And Mm. some of that footage actually ended up in the making of. So I'm sort of quite proud of that because it was sort of a personal aspect of what I love about filmmaking is actually seeing it from the inside out and always seeing it from behind the scenes. So good that you actually stopped 
do that too, because I think sometimes when you're at the pit face, you're making all the stuff, you don't take a moment to step back and look at it, you know, and, and so it was amazing that you would come down and walk around and, and photograph everything. Catch those moments, catch yeah. moments, yeah, yeah. Richard and I also became parents in 2002, mm-hmm. so we had... We had a young, you know, a little toddler. A little, uh, a little hobbit, yeah, <laughs> literally. And so I did choose to lessen my hours in, that, in those last sort of last couple of years. And But I did try and stay really as much as I could connected to things that were going on in the workshop and specifically, you know, where our locations teams were. I was, I was going to say uh, on the, the behind the scenes um, of Lord of the Rings in particular is just absolutely sensational and um, I love going and watching it every now and then on YouTube because it's kind of it's like oh yay look at all of these New Zealanders look at all these Kiwis working <laughs> this big, and they're so normal and relatable and you know it's great, it's great. Um, Daniel I wanted to pick up on on what you were talking about in terms of adapting the source material and, and visualizing it because it, it's I remember going and seeing the Fellowship of the Ring um, as part of a school tour thing so I would have been about 11 at the time 10 or 11 and um, it was a couple of months after I'd seen Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone which is also a book that I loved and I was really disappointed by the Harry Potter book because um, you know a good book allows you or makes you paint your own picture in your mind and develop your own world and it was difficult for me to see the Harry Potter movie because it was so different from what I'd imagined and so th- th- it's a lot of pressure on you to design the the visuals for this beloved book I imagine yeah most definitely I mean it's uh, you say beloved I think wasn't it voted like most popular book of the century yeah. or something like that and so no no pressure there's nobody going to lynch you if you get it wrong right um so no, um, it, it, there was pressure and as a, as a massive fan I felt that myself um because you've got people that these books are so beloved myself included who are going to be sitting there with their arms folded when they go into the cinema going right okay mm-hmm. you better impress me so you've got to win them round um but then also um you've got all these people who've never read the books before and they're going to see the films and then when they if they then if you've done your job right and they fall in love with that world they're going to go away and they're going to read the books but what you the visuals that you and you know the, that our team has put together is going to color everything that they see and when they read those books they're going to imagine what they saw on the screen so you've sort of supplanted their own potential for imagining things with your own so so in that respect there's also tremendous responsibility to try and do do justice to that source material i think one of peter jackson's moments of genius uh, and he's a very clever man but i think one of the things he did very very cleverly was was bring on board uh john howe and alan lee who i'd mentioned earlier both of these gentlemen had been illustrating tolkien books and calendars for many many years beforehand and so i think the world was somewhat primed by their vision right. that then the movie vision wasn't too dissimilar to that. Yeah. So I think in a way we had a little bit of a, a soft head start. And it also meant that for those of us like myself who were very, very new, we had these artistic mentors to look up to and, and to follow um, and to, you know, to learn from as well. So it was very, very valuable doing that. Mm. Tanya, let's, let's chat a bit about... Um what this meant for Weta, because I, I think Weta had been around for a while by then, 15, 15, 10 to 15 years, I think. You were founded back in 80, the late 80s, 88, was it, when it was RT Effects? A project of this size, I think um, the budget for Lord of the Rings, um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, um, I'm presuming that you'd never worked on anything approaching this in terms of the the size and scope and, and the potential in terms of what that budget allows you to imagine or, or potentially do. Yeah, this was, you know, the effect of this on Weta Workshop was really quite tremendous because it really did 
it allowed you know us the opportunity to really grow and, and sort of strengthen our aspects of our business, particularly those creative aspects, and you know to give us that opportunity to be a bit more sustainable and and to really sort of explore more exciting opportunities. So, you know, one of the things that has come out of you know everything to do with these films was the fact that it sort of really opened up a whole lot of different divisions for us too. You know, for instance, our tourism division. Mm-hmm. That way we've, you know, had this opportunity now to share our only creative journey with everyone. And so, mm. you know, that's now grown into, you know, our wedding workshop tours and, and even today with the fact we've opened Unleashed in Auckland, it's sort of like a really deep dive behind the scenes of creative fantasy filmmaking and, you know, really having that opportunity to reveal some of that magic and mystery. So, you know, one of the other areas too that that sort of come out for us is we have now got a gaming division mm-hmm. and, and right now they're sort of back in Middle Earth because we're actually creating a cosy game called Tales of the Shire and we're looking forward to that because it's a very exciting release later in the year. So it just sort of really means that this whole fantasy genre is still really strong and it's, it's still a sort of a big part of our forward journey. It's pretty extraordinary seeing the difference between the company that I remember I joined in 1996 and there was like a dozen of us or something here and I then know. seeing how it's diversified <laughs> and grown and that that that's all thanks to things like, well, it's primarily thanks to Lord of the Rings because it we had to grow to be worthy of to be able to, you know, handle the task. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm curious about that. Let's pick up on that, Dan, because, I mean, were there ever any, maybe nerves is not quite the right word, but is it possible in, in the in, the, in this world to have too much resourcing to the point where it can sort of hamper the creativity or, or ingenuity that maybe you, you need to have when you're more s- strained? That's, oh, I think you talk, you know, I know what you mean there, right? You talk about the, the creative challenges that are posed by having to find innovative solutions. Exactly, yeah. That's certainly part of the mindset that we approached it with um, in that I think and there, in that sense, also the newness of the crew, right? The fact mm. that so many of us here hadn't worked on anything like these kind of films before meant that we didn't have an established way of doing things, and so we kind of made it up as we went along. It's that, that I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but you know, it's a number eight fencing wire yeah. sort of approach to things that that I don't know if that's a Kiwi thing or more or, or what it is, but it, it but there's a certainly you just sort of jump in and. And and try and figure out how you're going to do it, and you maybe don't know when you start the process, but you you have to trust that you will by the end of it. Um, I think there was certainly an aspect of that. Uh, what do you think, Tanya? Would you? Yeah, I totally agree. You know, these were these were massive film projects for us, and they they required so much sort of design and prototyping and testing of those various weapons, suits of armor, and you know, some of those items that we specifically made. You know, we just we just produced so many hundreds of items, and you know, delivering them to the film set and to those locations, and all of that was a lot of logistics and just organization too and those are the sort of things that they're almost secondary to the creative but they they need to be just as important Mm. in order for the flow of the processes to be you know as smooth as possible particularly when you're working across different parts of New Zealand and and different time frames you know we had night shoots as many as day shoots and so you know there were all these layers to this whole process and it was actually to some degree as Daniel said our naivety of not having had a lot of film experience for some of the crew was to some degree added to the excitement of it all because this was their first big experience, you know, working on a film and to get this opportunity, you know, we'll always be forever grateful that these were the films that gave us this incredible, you know, opportunity to just showcase 
the detail and the creativity and and really just the you know the absolute passion that that everybody sort of gave to these projects totally it's interesting Tanya, to hear you you talk about um I guess, I guess, you know, the logistics of a creative production. Earlier on in the interview, you were talking about how um, you had to suss materials with which to make so many of these props, and uh, like, uh, of course you do. But that never sort of enters my mind when I think about the movies together. What, what sorts of things are you talking about there? Well, you know, there's one amazing product that we we sourced and found from a company in Upper Hutt of all places. Yeah. And um, they used to supply this product to the car industry to make armrests and headrests that were in, in your car. And we took a look at this product. I was up there one day um, having a look through all the different things that they had and noticed that they had um, made a one-piece saddle out of this urethane product. And I sort of came back and told Richard, said, you know, this is quite remarkable. They've really stretched and pushed the boundary of this one particular product. I really reckon we could use it for, you know, our suits of armour because it was a really intensely strong product. It had great flexibility, really strong. And we, we worked out how to use this and we ended up making literally... I'd say thousands of, you know, shields and swords and daggers and suits of armour out of this incredible product that we we call urethane. And it's so durable, it's going to be around forever. So as as we were saying, we were Daniel and I were having a little discussion about the fact that some of our product got taken to the South Island and, you know, you can talk about this, Daniel, in the form of all the arrows that were made. Oh, yeah. We were joking that, <laughs> we were talking before this interview, we were joking that, that some historian uh, or archaeologist in the future is going to dig up the plains <laughs> of Otago and find all these these bows and arrows, well, arrows primarily, that, that were fired during shooting and got lost. And, uh, you know, they'll think there was some great battle here, but the weird thing being that all the arrowheads are made out of urethane. Out of urethane, exactly. <laughs> you know, like they bounce off you, maybe. <laughs> These guys would have gotten smoked by the ancient Greeks, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's, you know, that, that's that wonderful thing that I think Tanya's talking about there, is that you find, and um, I would, I had no involvement in this, so I'd just be a fan of, of this whole process, part of the process, which is that you find products that have a different use and then you, you do something really surprising and cool and innovative with them and suddenly they become something totally different, you know? Skateboard wheel rubber being suddenly armour or, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? It's, um, yeah. And it, that, that was really, a lot of that was your kind of um, wheelhouse, wasn't it? Well, it was. There was, there was just, it was just sourcing these materials and, you know, we used to struggle with timeframes, particularly if we were bringing things in from overseas. So we had to be pretty innovative and start thinking about what we could source here in New Zealand. And, you know, as I said before, it's remarkable what you can create out of things that perhaps weren't ever designed to be created into that. And, you know, if I look back on some of the things, even, you know, some of the miniatures that were created and the types of products we used to, you know, refine the detail on those. So it is surprising. And, and, to some degree, it was a necessity. We can't, we couldn't always rely on getting things here in time. Everything used to have to come over by boat because so we couldn't really afford to ship things by air. So, you know, we had to always sort of factor in all these long time frames and lead-in times for barrels of silicon and, and stuff from overseas. So. I think one one thing that that was really invigorating for me, because all I did was basically push a pencil around. Like, I'm a designer, right? Oh, so come on. No, none of that, thanks. <laughs> I mean, anyway, continue. No, but, but I mean, where, where I'm going with this is 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 that's that's the scope of my knowledge and abilities is, is, is drawing. Right. And in, in a lot of productions... 
you'd have different companies doing different things. And that might be the limit of one, what one company does. They design and then they hand the work over to another company and that's the last they see of it. Whereas at Weta Workshop, um, uh, Richard and Tanya chose to take on so many different aspects of the production. So it was what makeup and prosthetic effects, armor and weapons, um, you know, creatures, design, miniatures, uh, gore and injury stuff. I mean, correct me if I'm forgetting anything out here, but but there were so many different things that were done all under the one roof. That meant that so for somebody like me, if I'm having a dry day and I'm sitting there, you know, scratching my head and I can't think what to draw next, all I had to do was walk, you know, downstairs and through two doorways and suddenly I'm in the foundry and I'm talking to a an actual swordsmith making swords cool. or I can go and talk to someone who's making miniatures. And so the opportunity to learn from these one, amazing craftsmen but also to be inspired and invigorated um, was pretty special. And I think that's one of the most, to me, that's still one of the most enduring special things about Weta Workshop today is that diversification and that massive range of different things going on all under one roof. Now, having said that, we were just, Weta Workshop was just one company working on these movies and there were several companies, including that we were, we were contracted by the, the production company, Three Foot Six Limited, um, who in turn were working for Peter Jackson's Wingnut Films, you know, and 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 then New Line, the cinema running it. So they were, they had their own, there was their own separate costume department, and there was um, you know makeup department and and props and and the set design. So there was a, it was a huge endeavor, and so when a workshop was was certainly a big part of it, and and it felt like a huge city unto itself. But yet it was just one small part of an enormous endeavor that that we were part of, and and those. The, you know, circling back to the Oscars again, those 11 um, Oscar categories that were run were won, were won by people across that range of companies and different and, and different groups. So and and because we'd all been working together for so long and so collaboratively on this thing, you know, the, the, the departmental barriers broke down, the company barriers broke down. We all just became collaborators on this enormous singular artistic endeavor. So when you see your friends and people you've worked with for all these years going up and winning these awards... Um, it's surreal and incredibly special. I, I just remember those moments so strongly, even to this day. You know, the day that Alan Lee walked up and, and won an art directing award. Exactly. Oh my goodness! You know, my heart just about burst. Exactly. Yes. I vaguely remember Billy Crystal. I think it was Billy Crystal who was hosting on the night, and I think he said something like, oh, "He um, was." Yes, I, th- he was. I think he said something like, "There is officially nobody else left in New Zealand to thank after the <laughs> uh, which was, <laughs> It was a nice line, Tanya. Um, I was I was living in. In Wellington at the time, but I was I was re- I was really young, so I was born in ninety one. Um, but I remember my my mum got shoulder tapped to be an extra in it. Um, and and this, you know, so many people um, have this this sort of similar experience that, you know, it was just such an exciting place to be when Lord of the Rings was on in, in Wellington in, the, in that sort of late 90s period. What was it like for you guys being there in the city? What was the energy like? Um, it was it was amazing actually to to be really honest with you and mostly because of the fact that you know this was Peter's hometown as well and so the whole city I think really embraced the fact that not only did we have the premieres and we were able to host them at the Embassy Theatre which is you know that lovely big theatre at the end of Courtney Place but you know to actually to actually have that experience and have have sort of lived and grown with it in your own city, that's really, really special, you know, and it it definitely put Wellington, you know, really, really on the, and we always say this, we laugh about it because it put Wellington really in the middle of Middle Earth because mm-hmm. that's, that's how it felt. But, you know, on those moments where you got to walk down the red carpet and, you know, there were hundreds of fans and hundreds of people just celebrating with you and, 
to me, that was the really special part of this entire project in its entirety was New Zealand got behind this project. And wherever you went around New Zealand years later, you know, people would have a story about Lord of the Rings or how they might have been involved with it, you know, right from the deep south to, you know, way up north. And so you sort of felt that the country got behind this project and, you know, we all made this project. It wasn't, as Daniel said, just one, you know, one company. There was a whole country and a whole community of really, really passionate people behind this. And those are the memories that will always stick strong in my mind too. The fact that, you know, we we had this weight behind us. It wasn't just us, but there was a, you know, a whole, a whole country out there wanting to make sure that these films got made and then celebrating when they did. And that was, you know, you, you can't sort of ever forget that sort of feeling. And yeah. It, yeah. it's just an amazing feeling of, you know, just that belonging to a country that really gets behind its creatives. Let's put it that way. It's just mm. lovely, you know, something super special. Was that your experience too? Oh, Daniel? most definitely. That could take the form of patience as we block a street and while we're moving a miniature down it. You know, <laughs> and the local, the folks who live near where the workshop must have wondered sometimes what was going on when you'd see, you know, a tiny miniaturized castle being wheeled down the road to another studio or something like I that. Know. <laughs> you know, uh, so, and it, you know, because these films took years to be made. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I think, Watching it happen must have been an interesting process to people, but but there was a tremendous patience. I think when when occasionally we inconvenienced them, uh, yeah, you know, when the parking was not available, um, yeah. and then I think hopefully certainly we saw a big celebration, you know, at the end, which and, was lovely, and that and, chance to everybody to say, yeah, we we all did this together. We all everybody knew somebody who was involved. It was yeah. the whole country could legitimately claim ownership of it. Exactly. Yeah. It's um. It feels kind of strange that it's been 20 years. Um, I can only imagine how, how it feels for, for both of you two. And, and you've both gone on to um, you know, work on, on really big movies and, and have amazing careers and, and develop even more. So, I mean, looking back on it now, how, how necessarily sort of vague, waffly question, but how do you reflect on that point in time? Was it a, a special but compartmentalised period in your lives that you kind of had to leave leave behind does it feel like like you've gone past it i don't think i don't think i'll ever leave middle earth behind i think you know it was a time of my life when i was learning a lot about you know the filmmaking process and you know to be a witness to see that process coming together over a long period of time over many years you know you grow up with it. You ha- you're having this time during your life where you're learning and you are taking this all on board, and then you can apply it as you you know as you go further into your into your career. So for me, I think it was a critical part for me of you know my development and 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 me being in the film industry. It's really you know it will always have that that sort of that strength of of setting me up for other things in the future and. But it will always be. It always had that legacy element, and I, you know, I will never be able to forget that aspect of it because I literally felt like often I was just living and breathing Middle Earth yeah. as I came to work every day, and you know, that's a, it's quite quite a lovely memory to always reflect back on. Yeah, yeah, well said. Mm. Hey guys, it's been really, really awesome chatting to you both this evening. I feel like we could go on all night, um, but uh, we should pro- <laughs> we'll, we'll call it quits there. Um, Tanya Roger and Daniel Falconer, thank you so much for your time and, and your memories. It's been really lovely. Thank you. Thank lovely. you for celebrating with us. Yes, thank you. 
And that was Tanya Roger and Daniel Falconer. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.